Hey everyone, this is Chad. I'm the founder and CEO of mission.org and the host of Mission Daily, the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Mission Daily was recently selected as best of 2018 by Apple for a reason. In every single episode, you're going to learn actionable strategies that you can apply to your life to become healthier, wealthier, and wiser. In this episode, we are joined by Brian Rothenberg to talk about marketing trends for 2019. Brian is a GM, CMO, and head of growth of Eventbrite and took them from 100 employees to over 1,000 and their IPO earlier this year. In this episode, Brian, Lauren, and I talk about what we think is coming in B2B and B2C marketing trends for 2019 and how you can set your marketing organization up for success in the coming year. Here with me in studio, we have our good friend, Brian. Brian, what's going on? Hey, Ian. Thanks for having me. And in an undisclosed location, somewhere near the Pacific Ocean, we have Lauren Vaccarello. What's going on? Not too much. Thank you, uh, everyone, for joining us today. I would like to say I have a view of the Pacific Ocean right now, but that would be too close to disclosing my location. (laughs) I saw someone driving by in a car this morning across a a bridge, which will not be named, that had a surfboard on top of their car. And I was like, I know that could be Lauren if there was someone in the passenger seat, not someone in the driver's seat. (laughs) That is true. No, I I do have uh, plans to go surfing tomorrow. The waves look good down in Capitola and I should be headed down there. Brian, do you surf? I don't. Everyone thinks I do because I'm a Californian and a Bay Area native, but no, have never surfed in my life. And you're tall. I feel like I feel like you you have a build of a swimmer. So you know, I mean, I, I feel like maybe I, think I could fake it, but uh, it would just be just be opposing. Just... Maybe 2019 is the year that Brian learns to surf. I'm just throwing it out there. I, I think there should be a future episode about all of the the life lessons and marketing lessons that Lauren learned from surfing. One of which is you just have to let go and give in because the more you fight the water, the more likely you're going to get hurt. Speaking of trends for 2019, boy, do we have an episode coming for you today. We are talking about some of the trends that Brian thinks are going to be relevant for 2019, both B2C, B2B, and uh, as always, marketplace strategies. But first, let's do a little bit of, uh, of Brian's song here. Share a little bit about your background. Awesome. Uh, So my background actually started in product management. I worked at Yahoo back in the day, um, early internet days as a product manager and learned marketing through necessity. I worked for a smaller business unit. We had no marketing budget and was really in charge of customer acquisition from a product lens there. I left Yahoo, went back to business school, and actually started my first venture-backed company called Skillslate. It was a local services marketplace. We raised $1.5 million from first-round capital, Canaan Partners, and other. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a former founder myself. Well, I knew you were a founder, but I didn't know you raised from first round and all that stuff. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. So we, we built that business for a couple of years and ultimately sold the business to another startup called TaskRabbit. Heard of them. Yeah. So uh, that was a fun experience. After we integrated our business, more out of necessity, there was just a gap on the team. I jumped in more formally on the marketing side as head of uh, user acquisition and retention for the business. So I helped triple that business over about a year that I was there. 
and then jumped over to Eventbrite uh, about six years ago now. So back when the company was around 100 people, we're now almost 1,100 people globally, scaled through our IPO this past September and have held a few roles there. The first was I joined as the company's very first head of growth and the charter was really fine and lean into the organic growth drivers um, that the business had going for it, helped to build out all of our quantitative performance marketing efforts, SEO teams, et cetera. After we had a leadership transition, uh, our CMO stepped out. Our CEO, Julia Hartz, asked me to be interim CMO, which I did for six months before transitioning to more of a GM, sort of cross-functional leadership role for one of our, our business PLs, uh, where I, I did oversee product marketing, analytics, and all of those areas to help grow that business. Well, I think and also, Brian, oh, go ahead. Laura. I was going to say that's such, such a great story, and you don't really see nearly as many marketers as you should going through and really taking a company from 100 people to 1,100 people and having the kind of breadth of different experiences and roles that, you, that you've had there. Thank you. It's been a great learning experience. And I think, you know, one of my career learnings is I don't love single functions so much. Like I like marketing, but I like doing it through different means. And I, and I really think cross-functional teams that have a charter of what we're trying to accomplish will be increasingly a trend going forward, organizing around a task or a mission as opposed to, you know, I'm going to run this tr initiative through a single, single function like marketing. Let's get into some of those trends. So, you know, today, these are not our exhaustive list that we're going to be Actually, you might have already heard it by the time this airs, but uh, this is not going to be the exhaustive list of trends, but we shared, pre-shared our list with Brian and wanted him to kind of be able to riff on that and kind of share six of his trends. These are by no means in order or, you know, the final cut of this. It's a work in progress as 2019 is for all of us. But uh, we wanted to go through this six, these six trends here. Brian's going to share his thoughts on it. And then Lauren uh, is going to, as always, share her expertise on this. So number one, top of funnel is shrinking and will continue in 2019. What do you mean by this, Brian? So it's a trend I've been seeing for the last few years and other growth experts like Andrew Chen has written on the topic extensively. He wrote a post called Growth is Getting Harder. And you know what I really see happening is a confluence of many factors, and I'll go through a few of them. One is there hasn't really been an obvious major new platform shift. Like about 10 years ago, mobile was emerging. It was a new platform that people were taking advantage of, getting distribution through the app stores, et cetera. We haven't really had that. We haven't had the next wave, so to speak, in a while. And so power and distribution in mobile is consolidating among the internet giants. For example, Apple and Google control so much of mobile distribution through their app stores. You know, the Fang companies, uh, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, they dominate mobile usage. So there isn't a great entry point for a lot of startups there. Another tr thing that I'm seeing, observing personally, is with this consolidation, a lot of the major platforms are increasing their monetization by reducing organic distribution. Yep. So for example, like Facebook used to have very broad organic reach when a brand would create a post that has shrunk and now those brands have to pay to play so to speak and pay for for uh, sponsored posts to get that distribution so they're effectively squeezing more dollars out of every eyeball and it's weird because so many it's not weird it's sad because so many brands spent so much money building up those facebook followings or you know pages or you know micro pages within like having multiple different pages and all that and it's like you're gonna have to pay 
to access those folks. It's a huge, huge issue for a lot of people that are spending millions of dollars on many millions of dollars on Facebook. I actually think it was a brilliant Facebook strategy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sort of like get all these brands to promote and drive eyeballs and users. And then, hey, we're going to charge you for that later. Totally. And it's definitely an example of a business playing the long game of how do I build up this audience? How do I build up this community? And then when I monetize, I am really going to monetize and make money off of this. And I mean, if we start to look at the the general ecosystem and to your point of Google and Apple are dominating mobile, even from an advertising perspective, there's so few new networks and channels, vehicles to go through. What Do you have any tips, advice that you can give to marketers who are still trying to grow top of funnel, but knowing pricing is going uh, increasing more and more, what can, a, what can a company do to still get out, still go to market without spending a fortune? I think it depends on company stage, like more nascent startups that are just testing. You can probably find pockets of profitable, profitable paid acquisition in these online channels. But I think increasingly brands are going to have to take bigger swings, like do more TV, out of home, et cetera. Do the things that everyone else isn't doing. Like the barriers to entering paid online marketing spend are so low given the self-serve na nature of these platforms it's much harder and much more expensive to take those leaps to out of home TV, et cetera, and much harder to measure, obviously. But the brands that I think take those risks and, and work to measure effectively, they'll, they'll probably see better results in the long run. I would say, I would also say that, and I know, uh, Facebook is going to be really difficult in 2019 for a lot of marketers to figure out. Um, but I would say that the one thing is that Instagram, I find personally as a user, by far the best like eyeball you just get it's on it's the entire ad on the screen at one time and i think twitter ads is the same way like it's in the feed it's a huge ad as you're scrolling through it uh it's the only thing that you're looking at and if you want to get a really solid mobile impression i think that that's a good way to go and that, now again you're going to be paying for it but it's like compared to pop-up video ads, pre-roll video ads, all this crazy stuff that people just want to like smash the button and get out of. I would say that, you know, if you're looking for a top of funnel type stuff, then, you know, it's probably going to be a lot more expensive. So, you know, you might need to work that deeper in the funnel. Yeah. I haven't done a lot of Instagram. My, my current working hypothesis is that it's not yet a saturated channel. So there's opportunity. And I also haven't gotten Twitter to work. I've tried many times, but it just doesn't seem to be as effective. Lauren, have you the, had similar experiences? The times I've gotten Twitter to work uh, is when it's time bound. And what I've liked about Twitter advertising is the if I have something that is happening immediately, if I'm promoting an event, promoting a webinar, if I want to drive something that has a very specific point in time that's coming up, I found Twitter useful. I found Twitter effective. If you're thinking about during a physical event, what I can do to use to do promotions on Twitter to drive people to physical events, to get actions taken at that. But the only times I've really had a lot of sort of effective results is if it's time bound and there's something I need them to go do. Instagram is really interesting. Um, I haven't done a ton on Instagram. It's funny, I actually just bought something <laughs> through an Instagram ad. And I think Instagram seems to be working really well from a consumer product CPG perspective because it's they've got really interesting targeting the visuals and it seems to be effective for CPG. I haven't had huge amounts of success with Instagram on the B2B side, but B2C as a consumer, 
Like I get it and I get why this works for them. Well, so I, so I, an example, and this is a shout out to our sponsor as well. Shout out to Pardot. But so Pardot has, has been promoting the uh, seven marketing templates that I've seen on, I believe, Instagram and on Twitter. I could be wrong, but it's such a clear B2B call to action that it's like, if this is something that you're looking, if you're, if you want to get supercharged on that one thing, and by the way, this is not a sponsor placement. This is just shout out to our friends, but it's a really good ad because if you're looking for that exact piece of content, it's really helpful. Now, if you're just like shilling brand stuff, uh, like, you know, if you're just Dell or whoever, you know, doing, and, and that's consumer, so that's a bad example, but you know, whoever it is, if you're doing like enterprise brand play stuff on Instagram or on Twitter, I would say that that makes no sense. But to Lauren's point, I think that there's a really tactical ask there if you're if you're getting in front of the right people. Um, and it's an easy one click out of that thing. And it's you have their audience for at least getting that impression that, that they they see what it is that, you know, hey, I'm going to earmark that for later. So, you know, when they get it via an email or something else, they might be primed for it. And something yeah. that that Brian had said earlier that I think is great to mention is this idea of saturation, that when all we say is this type of ad, the market gets really crowded, it, it just generally stops working. And actually, I'm really curious, especially if Pardot seeing success on this of because B2B really isn't that prevalent on Instagram, if you are doing it tastefully, tactically, and it is still the early adopter of sort of going in there and using that channel. Is it going to work more because there's that general curiosity piece? And then once, I don't know, as a marketer, as soon as you hear that something's working, everyone sort of dogpiles. And then maybe you have the six to 18 month window before it stops, it stops working again. I've seen that on almost every channel, right? It's like the the secret get it's a great little secret, and then the secret gets out, and then it, you know, returns drive towards zero. And I think that's part of the reason why is paid acquisition is effectively arbitrage, yeah. right? You're trying to acquire users for less than you're paying for them. Yeah. And over the long run, arbitrage tends to go towards zero. So that's just a, a factor of that playing out. And I remember, I remember even when say social just started coming up as a channel in a vehicle, the, and it was social, it was SEM, it was all of these different paid acquisition channels. And I think in the early days, you just had to be there. You had to understand how these tactics and channels worked because there really wasn't anyone there. The competition wasn't that high. But to your point, everyone knows about it. It's becoming increasingly crowded. The arbitrage opportunity is approaching zero. So you actually have to have a much higher skill set now and in some ways apply a lot of traditional marketing, understanding and tactics and techniques of what's my brand? What's my messaging? How do I understand how am I differentiated and then apply it to the channels where before it was, let me just turn this on and I think it'll work. And that, that that's a great segue into number two, because, you know, number two, Brian has said that marketing do dollars will follow eyeballs where consumers increasingly spend their time. Now, if the, you know, if number one is true and the top funnel is, sh is shrinking, then where these eyeballs are is hugely critical for marketers in, in 2019. Brian, can you, can you expand on some examples of that? Yeah, I think a couple that have jumped out to me are um, one, live experiences uh, and the, the 
decoupling of experiential marketing. So totally. there are a lot of studies that have been done around millennials very dramatically favoring experiences over things. So they'd rather go to a music festival or go travel somewhere. And then again, share that out back on Instagram and there's all the vanity component as well. But big brands are sponsoring more events and even you know progressive brands are actually creating and hosting their own live experiences. And one of the best and oldest examples, like really a, f- a front runner there is Red Bull. If you think about yeah. their, um, what was it called? The Flutentog or something? Oh, yeah, when they, they had the guy jump from above the atmosphere, they're doing so many interesting things that's taking Red Bull from, I mean, honestly, Red Bull is an energy drink but they're not an energy drink. They are so much more because they are really investing in this much bigger experiential brand programs that if you were the first Red Bull marketer and you said, okay, what I'm going to do is make this guy jump from outer space with a parachute, they'd say, well, actually what we do is sell energy drinks. I mean, as someone whose first uh, music concert was the Sprite Remix Tour with uh, NERD, uh, the Neptunes, <laughs> OAR, uh, I can tell you that it's definitely worked. Definitely worked for me. I used to drink a lot of Sprite. Actually, not really, but 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 I think that that's a really good point. And I think for the B two B thing, I, I want to you know with the lens of long term brand recall, I think that's something that's really critical that people miss out, specifically when talking about like younger generations, like millennials, is you actually remember experiences 10 years later. So that's part of the thing. Like all of us remember events that we've been to that were our favorite events that, you know, spending, you know, we fight and claw and do everything we can do to get 15 seconds of somebody's time. Well, getting 48 hours of somebody's time is pretty freaking valuable when there's a way to actually, you know, create organic things. What was your favorite event in 2019? Can you share? Or 2018, can you share? I just had our third baby. We just had our third baby, so I don't get out a lot. So I don't know if I have a great example. I'm going to defer to Lauren. I am. Um, so I have a couple of things that I think is, are super interesting. Something that I've said a fair amount recently is the "what's old is new," and I, you know, I started in digital marketing 15, 16 years ago, where I don't think I would have ever been the person at that point would talk about how incredible events are and this is why you do sort of big brand exposure and seeing a lot of these, I hate to use the word traditional, but more traditional types of marketing are suddenly becoming more effective than a lot of the digital tactics and techniques because I feel in a lot of ways, some of digital acquisition has become too much science and not enough art and not understanding who the people are and what the sort of persona is and what the messaging is. And now you're having things like this great experiential marketing. And if you can apply a little bit of data and analytics to make it effective, it's becoming really effective. So I have this whole perspective on the things we gave up, like field marketing and events that we said didn't work are now the things that are working really, really, really well. Well, we, you know, we talked about in the 40 years of Apple ads episodes, uh, which by the way, if the listeners haven't checked them out, you should go back and listen to those because it's, it's really good stuff. But we talked about the fact that ads used to be remarkable. Well, yes, there's so much stuff out there right now. You know, we see 500 cat videos a day and all the other stuff, you know, it's really hard to break through with an ad, with a TV ad or with something like that. So creating something that is actually remarkable. I mean, you, you, you never go home and tell your spouse, 
or you know go home for the holidays and be like man i saw this 300 by 250 banner or uh you know whatever 728 by 90 and boy it changed my week but so if you can bring those people in the top of the funnel and get those eyeballs and then retarget them through social it it can create a lot better experience what's another thing what's another example of where eyeballs will be brian so not to beat our own drum as a, as podcast casters right now too much, but I think podcasts will be huge uh, in the coming year and beyond. You know, I should divulge that I'm an angel investor in the mission, and I did a lot of research on the space before making that commitment. But some interesting data that I found are that more people now listen to podcasts each year than listen to Spotify. That was just amazing to me. So amazing. about 44 44- yeah, it's crazy. So about 44% of Americans have listened to a podcast ever and about 26% listen every month. Um, so that is a ton of eyeballs, so to speak, or, or earbuds um, rather. But um, on the advertising side, monetization is really lagging. So there was a study done by the IAB and PwC that last year the industry reached $314 million in revenue. So $314 million in ad revenue following 25% of the U.S. population every month. That's actually a pretty out-of-whack proportion. Yep. So like everything else, like mobile adoption increased, but monetization and ad spend was lagging, and eventually it caught up. I really think we'll see that in podcasts as well. I say, no, I definitely, I definitely think you're right on that one. And it's, we have more and more time, whether it's commuting the, the time between space that I think where people used to just sit and sort of be at peace in the, I am killing 15 minutes to get from point A to point B for good or for bad, our ability just to sit still and be in the moment is going away more and more. So you have people listening to more podcasts, trying to be more engaged. And I think this is a great opportunity to to take advantage of this. And if you think about people sitting and saying, I'm going to listen to this for 15 minutes for an hour as marketers, it's a lot of time that if you craft great content and work with really good organizations like The Mission, what you can do to really sort of uh, push your message out and get a deeper connection with your customers. So I... I'm sort of very, very long on the podcast space right now. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that that we've looked at too is like kind of this this three pronged thing that's happening, which is you know the radio terrestrial radio is an eighteen billion dollar a year industry, and what never happened was technology never caught up to radio. So you had crappy ear like earphones, you had crappy apps, um, you had all this stuff, and then you had crappy like curation, and so that kind of mix is like. Too much confusion equals no sale, right? So now you have this convergence of AirPods are the hottest selling Apple accessory ever. That's going to go. And if you saw anything on people's like Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or whatever over this holiday, how many people talking about them getting AirPods for Christmas was like off the charts. That's only going to increase. You know, we're not going to have cords. We're not going to have any of this. People are going to be able to listen on the go all the time. And the younger generation is, you know, tech first. So they're mobile, they're app-based, all this stuff. All that leads to radio continued to moving away. And what people had was like local radio, which served their you know morning shows and this sort of thing. And now the quality of content is such that you no longer need that local affiliate. You can have local coverage that doesn't have to be you know local to you. They could be someone in a totally different country that's sharing things about your favorite sports team or your industry or whatever it is. And those all converging right now in an area that has seen double digit growth over the past five years. You know, obviously we're huge on it here, but it's really 
you know, kind of the, what's old is new again. Like radio has been successful for a long, long time because people have been sitting in cars or, you know, carrying their radio around or going, you know, fishing and having a radio on the boat. Like this is all the same sort of thing. And to your Spotify point, that's super crazy. And guess what? Spotify just announced or is now adding podcasts. Pandora mm-hmm. just announced podcasts. Google Podcasts is going to grow huge. They have a huge bet on podcasts. Like if you're looking at that, the Fang group and how many of those folks are betting on podcasts, like kind of, I just think the consumer has had a really poor experience in podcasting for a long, long time. And now it's going to be uh, an opportunity that they're going to have much increase, which means marketers will have a much better opportunity to serve them. Yep. And I would predict that the ad platforms will take time to catch up, but over time actually should be more measurable than terrestrial radio. Yes. And more dollars will flow in because of that. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.